Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you might be afraid to ask. So settle in, because today we are tackling the topic of women in leadership. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. Okay, so there is a lot to cover in this topic. Mm -hmm. I have friends saying, this is not okay. Women cannot be pastors. Like men are the head of the mm -hmm. household. And I have friends saying, like, that may be how it was back then, but like culturally things have changed and that's not something God's gonna mm -hmm. be upset with. Mm -hmm. So let's dig in. All right. So why do some people think women can't be pastors? It's a great question. And you're right. There are really strong opinions on this topic. Some people think the Bible's really clearly against it. And some people think the Bible's really clearly for it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get people's blood pressures up, this is a good topic to talk about. Um, let's look at the three passages that people most often point to to say that women can't be pastors. The first is in Ephesians chapter 5, which is where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's giving instructions for Christian households. And here in chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So it seems pretty clear that men are supposed to be in charge, at least of the home, and that women are supposed to follow their leadership. And so many people take that and say, that is also true of the church as well. Because if a woman is submitting to her husband at home, how could she be leading him at church? Okay, it's also interesting because one thing that stood out to me is that Christ is the head of the church. Mm, that is true. Yep, and that's good to keep in mind. Another passage that people point to is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Maybe you could read that for us. Yes. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, so again, really clear, it seems really clear that women are supposed to be silent in church specifically, and that if they have questions, they can ask their husband at home. The last passage is probably the most often cited. I see it on Facebook at least once a week. Um, people talking, people using this passage to suggest that it's obvious that women can't be Bible teachers, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Okay, that last verse is super controversial, how women will be saved through childbearing. But you can see that the, the verse that people most often cite is that a woman is not permitted to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. 
So the ways that these passages are worked out in churches cover a whole range of practices. So some churches say, um, who are wanting, are wanting to take scripture seriously say, okay, a woman cannot be a head pastor, but she could do anything else. Or a woman could not be an elder or on the elder board, but she could do anything else. Or a woman could not be a pastor or an elder or a deacon, but she could do anything else. Or a woman could teach, but not from the pulpit. So she could teach adult Sunday school, but not from the pulpit. Or a woman could teach children in Sunday school, um, but not after a certain age. Sometimes um, people say, well, as soon as young men turn 13, then they're technically men. And so a woman couldn't be the Sunday school teacher for any young boys who are over the age of 13. Yet they are allowed to do adult Sunday school? Well, not in the same, not in not that in church, the same right. case. So okay. what I'm trying to say is that people sort of draw that line of, of how they're going to implement these verses in a lot of different places. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it's so clear about women being silent, then why they're allowed to teach in Sunday schools at all mm -hmm. and why they're allowed to like literally speak in church if it's so clear. Okay, so that's a really good question because there are things in the context of each of these passages that make some churches say it's not as clear as what it might have seemed like the first time that we read it. Now, our, the first thing we need to recognize is that the Bible is, is being given, it's being addressed to a people in a particular cultural context, and God is working within that cultural context. So the question we need to ask is, are we trying to recreate ancient culture? Like, is the first century church the ideal that we're trying to emulate? Or are we supposed to take principles from how they did things and then in incorporate those or embody those in our culture and in ways that may look different from in the first century. So it's not as simple as it may seem. So back to our first passage from Ephesians chapter 5. This, is, this was talking about submission in marriage. And you read the, the verse, verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. What's really interesting about this verse is that in Greek, the word submit does not appear. It just says in Greek, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's borrowing the verb from the previous verse, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it begins by saying that husbands and wives should submit to each other, or that Christians should submit to each other. And then it specifies wives to your husbands, as you do to the Lord. And then later, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So clearly going in both directions, there's a significant amount of self-sacrifice. Women are submitting, wives are submitting to their husbands as to the Lord, but the, the husband is laying down his life for his wife. So really there's a back and forth mutual submission. So I'm curious because if the Greek version does not use the word submit, does mm -hmm. it have the word love? It does. In verse 25, it does say, husbands, love your wives. Um, but in verse 22, it's piggybacking on verse 21, which says to submit to one another. So anytime we talk about submission and marriage, we should be talking about mutual submission mm -hmm. and mutual self-sacrificial love. So that's the first thing to notice. 
Um, now to our Corinthians passage. And there are many people who would say there is supposed to be submission or hierarchy in marriage where the husband is head of the wife, but we can't map that over onto the church. So some people who would say um, women do submit at home, they don't have to submit at church for reasons that I'm about to show you. Okay. Not that they're not that they're troublemakers in church, but that there's not a built-in gender hierarchy. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 14.34, you read that women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak. That seems like it would make it really hard for a woman to do any leading at all or mm -hmm. any teaching at all. And what's really interesting is if we just flip back a couple pages to chapter 11, verse 5, it's talking about covering heads in worship. And it says... Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. So here we have Paul giving instructions for women who are praying or prophesying in church that they need to have their heads covered. So how would prophesying, like, does that fall in line with preaching? That's a really good question. Um, prophesying from an Old Testament standpoint is declaring the word of God to the people of God. So it would be announcing God's word. So it's actually, I would say, even, um, even a higher form of teaching than teaching, okay. right? So teaching would be passing on what someone else says. I'm right now passing on to you what, what I've learned from other scholars. Um, but prophesying would be like delivering a word from God. And here, women are not prevented from doing that in church. They're just supposed to do it in modest ways. They're supposed to be properly dressed while they do it, which implies they're not actually being silent. Which is interesting that it would contradict itself. So how do you know which one to look at? Yeah, so we need to somehow find a way to hold both of these together in tension. So women are invited to pray and prophesy, which means they have a role in public worship but somehow they're supposed to be silent in church. And that's where, if we read this context again in chapter 14, it's, um, it's possible that we're, we're kind of listening in on a problem in the church at Corinth. In those days, men and women would sit on opposite sides of the room for public worship. They didn't feel like mixed gender meetings were appropriate. So the men would be on one side and the women on another side. And it's possible that the point here is that if a woman is wondering about something that's being taught, she shouldn't call over to the other side of the room to ask her husband what he thinks because that would bring disorder to the meeting. She should wait until they're at home to talk about it. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. I came here because I was hungry. Passions brewing in my blood, purpose stirring in my bones, knowing I was made for more. Imperfect, searching for who I was, I had this unshakable sense that God had planted greatness inside of me that demanded to be nurtured. My heart bursting with desire to do something beautiful with my life for Jesus' sake. Here, my hunger met substance and depth, wisdom and direction, grew roots and took form. My passions took flight while my soul got grounded. My purpose got narrow while my horizons expanded. Now, my future is clear, my focus sharper, my calling precise, and hope my anthem. In these past four years, I've traveled the world, seeing things I never could have imagined, witnessing real suffering and unspeakable beauty. 
I felt the heart of God in the classroom and in the slums. I've discovered his voice through his word in unexpected ways. Now, resilient as I grow, become, triumph, and fail, I've experienced the power of community and being transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. What comes next is still a mystery. I can only see by the short light cast in front of me, a lamp unto my feet, but this place has given me everything I need to step forward, bold and confident. I'm ready to launch. Okay, so I have a hard time thinking of women as like below men because um, from what I've been taught, we're all made in the image of God and mm-hmm. we're all equal. Mm-hmm. So how does that fit into it? Yeah, so someone who believes that only men should be leaders in the church would say, they would agree and they would say men and women are equal in the eyes of God. They're of equal value, but they've been given different roles. The technical term for that view is complementarian, that men and women complement each other, that they have complementary roles which are not the same. Okay, so now let's look at the third passage that we that we took a peek at in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. This is where it clearly says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. So again, this seems really obvious, like quiet is quiet. But if we back up to the beginning of this chapter, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. So now everybody's being quiet, and, it's, and quietness isn't silence, but it's a, it's a mode of living that's not disruptive. So living peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then I want, in verse 8, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So there's, there's instructions given for men to properly conduct themselves in worship. And then a woman... What's fascinating about verse 11, it says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. We think of that as a prohibition, like you need to be quiet while you're learning. Actually, in this cultural context, it's a permission. It's, hey, women, I want you to have a chance to learn. Or, hey, men, you need to let your women learn. Because in that time period, men were the ones who would follow a rabbi or become disciples and be trained theologically, and women were not invited into that. So this is why it's scandalous when Jesus is with Mary and Martha, and Mary is sitting at his feet as a disciple learning. Jesus welcomes her to do that. He says, no, I don't need you in the kitchen. You've chosen the right thing to sit and learn from me. So here, Paul is actually asking Timothy to give women permission to study and learn. And this next verse where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority. There's been a ton of discussion about what that means, but those two verbs, teach or assume authority, are linked in such a way that some scholars think it doesn't mean you can't teach and you can't assume authority, but you can't teach in a way that assumes authority. In other words, you can't just march in somewhere and take over. You are, you are being called to uh, come in with proper respect for those who are in leadership. And in this context, it would have been mostly men in leadership. And so Paul is saying, God is doing a new thing through the church. 
but I don't want you to cast off the order of your societal structures. I want you to work in an orderly way within that. So, but our societal structures are so different. They are. So does that change the way we can be looking at this verse? I think it does. But one more comment I wanna make first about 1 Timothy 2. Um, it says, for Adam was formed first and then Eve, which is true if you're reading Genesis 2, that's the order in which God makes Adam and Eve. Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived. Why was the woman deceived in Genesis chapter 3? Adam is the one whose job it was to pass on to the woman what God had said, namely, don't eat from that tree. And the woman's understanding of what God had said seems to have been distorted, and it's perhaps because she didn't hear it for herself from God. And so it could be that Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to let women learn. Let them be my disciples let them be disciples of God so that they're not deceived the way Eve was when she didn't get a chance to learn. So this is actually far more permissive than most people read it. It's inviting women into, into that role as student. And until they have studied, they can't just, they can't just arrogate themselves and say, oh, I'm going to lead now. They need to study first and learn first. Okay, so my last question for you is, then where do you draw the line? Because we have all these people, and there's people that are saying in society, like women shouldn't be presidents, women shouldn't be like in Police these roles. Officers. Yes, yep. but there's a lot, and like the stay-at-home mom kind of aspect, but there's a lot more I've seen about, well, it's fine if women do that, just as long as they're not in the church. Mm -hmm. So where do you draw the line then? Like, mm -hmm. women can be police officers, but not pastors. Or, mm -hmm. like, how do you distinguish? Yeah, and of course, different churches and different people have a different way of, of teasing that out. If you're trying to recreate first century culture, then no, women shouldn't be pastors or police officers or presidents, because that wouldn't that's not how it was back then. Um, at least not in a widespread sort of way. But if you believe that God was working within a particular culture, and now he's working within our culture, so we need to take the principles and apply them here, then we would say, God's message through Paul to Timothy is, I want your churches to be orderly, not disorderly. So let's be orderly and not disorderly in the way that we do church in our culture. And in our culture, at, in, in our culture at large, women do have roles in leadership, and it's not, it's not disorderly if they lead or if they teach. We have lots of women teaching in a lot of different, different venues. So some people would say, it's okay for a woman to teach. It's not out of line. Yeah, so that's definitely one way people can be looking at it. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share? Yeah, the other piece to this is that sometimes we get so hung up on those three passages that I just shared with you that we miss the wider vision of Scripture for women. And there are actually some really cool things about women in Scripture that we miss when we focus only on those passages. So first of all, the Bible gives many examples of women who do teach and do lead. Mm -hmm. So there's Deborah in the Old Testament. She was a judge and a military leader. There was Miriam who led Israel in worship. There was Huldah, who's one of my favorites. She's a prophetess in the book of Chronicles. And what's really interesting about Huldah is she's a married woman in a time when there are other prophets. Isaiah the prophet is alive at the same time, but when the king wants a word from God, they send for her. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. He could have sent for Isaiah. He could have asked, told his husband, but he goes to her because she's known as someone who reliably speaks the word of God. And she gives him an authoritative message. And it's not shame on you for asking a woman. Um, it, she, she delivers the word of God for the king. So I really like Huldah. There's Anna in the New Testament in the Gospels who's called a prophetess and she recognizes, she's one of the very first to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, there's Mary Magdalene who Jesus delivers from demonic oppression. And what's fascinating about Mary Magdalene is that all four Gospels tell us she was the first one to meet the resurrected Jesus. He did not go straight to his male disciples and reveal himself as being alive and say, spread the word. He goes to Mary and he says, you go tell them, tell them I'm alive. He sends her as the very first witness of the most important news in human history, which to me is a huge uh, support to the idea that women can bring the gospel message. Yeah. And then there's others mentioned kind of in passing in Paul's letters. There's Lydia, who is financial supporter of the early church and let the church meet in her home. There's Phoebe, who's called a deacon in Romans chapter 16. There's Priscilla, who is the teacher who helps Apollos learn the truth so that he can be an evangelist. And then there's Junia, who's listed among the apostles. So although there were not lots and lots of women in leadership, there were women in leadership who are affirmed by Paul and affirmed by Jesus. And I think that brings us back to this vision that we get at creation where men and women are created together side by side as the image of God. And they're given the same job to do, to fill the earth and subdue it and to bring order to creation. God does not say men are the image of God and women are supposed to tag along and be their helpers. He says men and women together are given the same job. It, I, should, I should clarify though, it does use the word helper. But the problem is the way we think of the word helper. So in Genesis 2 and verse 18, it says, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. We think of helper as someone who's, um, someone who's less than and needs to come along and, and be given the dirty work. Mm -hmm. But the same word helper is used to describe God many times in the Bible, that God is Israel's helper and in that case, he's obviously not less. He's, he's more. Yeah, I'm curious um, what the word is in Hebrew, if you happen to it's, know. Yeah, so it's, um, the word is ezer. The word for helper is ezer. And it's ezer kened go, uh, a helper suitable for him, a compatriot to him, or a, someone, who, someone who matches Adam. So like a companion. Yes, a companion. And they're going to side by side do the work that needs yeah. to be done. This was really interesting. Um, I think uh, for me, I didn't recognize a lot of the names on the list of women. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard of these women, go read their stories. If you have, mm -hmm. like look at them again. Also when looking at the verses that people are using, mm -hmm. I think the context is so important. It is. The cultural context and verses before and after. Mm -hmm. um, so never just take one verse by itself. Yes. Um, so important. What other resources can we go to? That's a great question. I have a few books along with me that I think have been really helpful for me personally. So maybe I'll start with this one. Um, this is a compilation book um, entitled How I Changed My Mind About Women in Leadership. And it gives the stories of lots of different evangelical leaders who used to think that women couldn't lead and then change their mind. And it's So it's not a book that makes an argument, but it's a book that tells their stories and 
how they came to see things differently. Mm -hmm. Another book that's really helpful is by Carolyn Custis James. She works through some of the key texts in the Bible that we need to understand well, like the text in Genesis, but her main message is this. There is so much work that needs to be done in the world. We can't leave all that work that needs doing to the men because the men only make up half the church. So we need to work together as a team to get the job done. She talks about human trafficking and how um, there's a special role for women in that um, rescue effort. And finally, this book by Kristen Padilla, Now That I'm Called, A Guide for Women Discerning a Call to Ministry. Kristen serves in a conservative context in which not everyone thinks that women can do everything in the church. So her book recognizes that there are going to be women reading this from all sorts of churches where it might not be possible for a woman to be a pastor, but there are lots of things that women can do. So if you're sensing a call to ministry and you want some practical ideas about how to get started in your context without bucking the system, but just being a service to the church, this is a great place to start. She tells a lot of stories of women who have wrestled with this issue. Those sound like great resources. Um, we will be sure to link these down below mm -hmm. and um, also link ways you can contact us, ask us questions, and follow us on social media platforms. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two podcast. See you next time.